Super Talk Mississippi media production. Hi, this is Dr. Andy Barlow with the Chiropractic Physician Center of Tupelo and author of the number one best-selling book, The Code Breaker. Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? Then call my office at 662-844-1414 and order my new book, The Code Breaker. Welcome back in on a Monday. It's NFL game week, by the way. Did you know that? I mean, it kind of snuck up on on everybody. I was talking about this yesterday uh, on my Sunday radio show, and I don't remember an NFL season with less hype going into it than this one in my entire life of watching the NFL. I simply don't remember a year where, I mean, it's week one and... Nobody's really talking about it, are they? Or am I completely missing it? Definitely not uh, the way it usually is. But hey, it is NFL game week. It's great to be with you. This is the Rebel Report. I'm Michael Borky. Thank you for making the podcast a part of your day on this Monday. Weather's beautiful outside, by the way. Feels like fall. Leaves are changing in my yard a little bit. Had to uh, blow some leaves off the back porch yesterday. It's really nice. We've got some football weather coming up. And it is nice to be with you. A few things coming your way. First, I do want to uh, just describe what the Saints tried to do to get Jadavion Clowney. I, I think it's masterful. Uh, so we'll get into that a little bit. Also, games from this past weekend, underdogs again. That's the play. I'm telling you. I told you on Friday, underdogs in early games, especially week one, are going to be the play moving forward. COVID has leveled the playing field, and you saw it play out again this past weekend, some drama in Hattiesburg. Just an interesting story potentially brewing with the coaching situation at Southern Miss. And then some audio from Jonathan Mingo. He said a few things that stood out to me when it comes to Lane Kiffin and Jeff Lebby and the new offense and the quarterback battle and all that stuff. So I'll play that for you and uh, give you some thoughts on what he said. Some pretty interesting stuff in a very short audio clip that I'll play for you from uh, old Mrs wide receiver Jonathan Mingo. But first, as always, the podcast is brought to you by LBs just across from Kroger on University Avenue there in Oxford, the best place in Mississippi to get your meat. It is Monday, so you've got five chances now this week to get one of their daily lunch specials there at LBs. They are open seven days a week, though, so get your meat for the weekend. Watch your NFL football. Starts on Thursday night. You've got Texans and Chiefs on Thursday night, then a full slate of NFL games on Sunday, including... Tampa Tom in uh, his debut in New Orleans in front of an empty Superdome, which will be a weird environment. So go by LB's, go see Greg, tell him we sent you, and uh, yeah, check it out. Just across from Kroger, University Avenue in Oxford, LB's, the best place in Mississippi to get your meat. All right, I had to share this with you because I think it, it's just like this galaxy brain thinking that Uh, that you've gotten from Mickey Loomis since he's been the GM with the Saints, and and this is why his roster building and uh, contract management has been so good. So he entered the Jadavion Clowney sweepstakes. Uh, Clowney was a free agent. Uh, The Titans were the presumed favorite, but then the Saints swooped in, and a couple of other suitors were there as well. But uh, the question for the Saints was, would they be able to afford him? The Titans had a bunch of cap room. Uh, The Saints, not so much. And people were wondering how New Orleans was actually even putting a competitive bid out there to get Clowney. Well, as it turns out, uh, they had a very creative way that the NFL uh, would not approve, even though it's not against their rules because the NFL apparently uh, hates New Orleans. Mickey Loomis and the Saints, the presumption is it's the Cleveland Browns, 
Uh, they got the Browns to agree to a sign-and-trade deal, so the Browns would have given Clowney $15 million for the one year and traded him to the Saints for a second-round pick. And that would have meant the Saints were only on the books for $10 million and Cleveland would have been on the books for $5 million. So they convinced Cleveland to take a second-round pick basically in exchange for $5 million of their salary cap for one season. And according to a story I saw yesterday, uh, the NFL would not approve that deal. Or at least that's the presumption from behind the scenes, is the NFL would not let that happen. Um, that That's an unprecedented... I mean, sign and trades are not unprecedented, but basically sign and take a cap hit in exchange for a second-round pick is uh, something that I've never heard before. I mean, that's pretty remarkable, right? That's the, the kind of thinking that gets the roster that Mickey Loomis has been able to put together for the Saints the last few years. And uh, the NFL wouldn't approve the deal. Even though it is not against their rules. Brock Osweiler kind of had a similar situation going on. Ryan Tannehill uh, was paid by the Miami Dolphins last year to play for the Titans. It is not exactly uh, unprecedented. But this was a unique take on the situation, and apparently the the league uh, would not approve it, even though it's not against their rules. They just got outsmarted by one of their GMs, and for some reason, uh, it wouldn't let it go. And explain that to me. Why would you not let that go? It's very smart managing of a football team. And Cleveland was willing to give up $5 million in cap space to get an extra second-round pick. I, I don't see what the problem is here, but... That's why the deal didn't go through, and that's why Clowney's a Titan today. It wasn't because he chose Tennessee over New Orleans. It's because New Orleans' deal um, was not going to get approved by the league. Uh, the impression that I got yesterday was that he just chose Tennessee. Well, that's not exactly how that worked out. But enough about that. Let's uh, look at the college football from the weekend. And uh, Guys, I'm telling you, I'm on to something here. So you had... Central Arkansas cover against UAB on Thursday night. You had South Alabama beat Southern Miss. More on that here in a little bit. Uh, both of them underdogs that work, uh, that covered the spread. Army Smoke, Middle Tennessee. So this is not a 100% thing. And Marshall beat up on Eastern Kentucky. But Texas State covered against SMU. Houston Baptist covered against North Texas. Arkansas State covered against Memphis. Stephen F. Austin covered against UTEP. Early underdogs, man. I, I am on to something here uh, when it comes to to that theory. So it was good to have college football this weekend. I think the slate gets a little bit better here in, I guess, technically you can call it week two. You've got Syracuse, North Carolina on Saturday. You've got Billy Napier's Louisiana Cajuns at Iowa State, Duke, Notre Dame. Bobby Petrino's Missouri State Bears at Oklahoma, Clemson, Wake Forest. Tulsa, Oklahoma State, UTEP back in action against Texas, and FIU and UCF. So that's not uh, all that bad. Uh, it's definitely worth watching, and they're, I guess they're technically calling that week two of, uh, of college football. But have you guys seen what's potentially unfolding in Hattiesburg? Uh, there are uh, very few outlets that actually cover 
Southern Miss on a day-to-day basis. I know the Hattiesburg American. I think they they actually don't have like a full-time Southern Miss reporter, but uh, you've got the Sun-Herald th- that still covers them on a daily basis, and there is a rival site called BigGoldNation.com, and uh, they cover Southern Miss. And according to uh, one of their writers... Sources tell him in their website that Jay Hobson will be out tomorrow. There's uh, another, uh, there's a podcast called To The Top Talk. That is certainly a mouthful uh, that is also saying the same thing. That's been the rumor now for, I, I guess, 48 hours or so that Jay Hobson is not going to be the coach at Southern Miss uh, anymore. And that sounds kind of crazy, right? Uh, so... I guess the question is, is this tied to scandal? Is this tied to scandal? Because if this is not scandal-related, moving on from him right now uh, is insane. So far in his uh, tenure at Southern Miss, he's coached four full seasons. He's gone 7-6, and 4-4 four and four in the league, 8-5, and 6-2 and two in the league, 6-5, and 5-3 five, five and three in the league, 7-6, and 5-3 in the league now, if if Southern Miss people expect more winning from their program, I, I certainly understand it. But making this, if it's just a performance based call right now, after four consecutive winning seasons, after COVID, after one game, would be one of the more reactionary and insane decisions. That I've ever heard. Now, who knows if any of this is actually true. I know fans have been clamoring for him to get fired, so maybe it's just rumor and innuendo. And you did have a handful of players opt out like in the couple of weeks leading up to the start of the season, so maybe something's going on behind the scenes that we don't know about. That's the only way that a decision like this can make sense to me. It's the only way that you can convince me that this would be the right decision is if there's some kind of problem going on behind the scenes uh, of scandal issue or something like that. But to fire Jay Hobson, who has, again, given you four consecutive winning seasons, one game into the pandemic season, if that's really a decision that you make, I think it's crazy. I think it's crazy. And, and what do you expect from your football program? Because everybody wants to win more, certainly. But, it, I mean, this is a school, with all due respect, that has a minimal budget. Facilities that haven't been touched in a very, very long time. And the region has added a couple of programs. I mean, South Alabama, who just beat them the other night, has not had a football team until relatively recently. And firing a coach midseason when you're only paying him about half a million anyway to coach your football program, who's going to step in and take that job after that? So you better know what you're doing here. You better have the next guy in line Uh, And it better be a home run hire uh, who's willing to accept that job because, I mean, how attractive do you think that your job is going to be when you fire a coach one game into his fifth season after having winning seasons in four consecutive years? How do you expect to hire anybody? I mean, who's going to take that job? I can have winning seasons four straight years and you're going to fire me one game into a season during a pandemic? Ooh, that's um, yeah, that's tough. 
And so maybe this is just rumor or, in, or innuendo, and I, mean, I guess it's possible there's something going on behind the scenes, because that is the only way that you could explain this to me, and it makes sense, is if you let him go or fired him or whatever you want to call it. This is the only way that it would make sense, is if there's something going on behind the scenes. But if it's just a performance issue, the timing is awful. Uh, of course, you did have the pandemic where a bunch of his players opted out. You had uh, players that couldn't practice leading up to the season, and they've played one freaking game. And fans I've seen are, are celebrating this and hoping that it's true. Ooh, um, make a performance-based termination at the end of a season, uh, but not one game into a pandemic year uh, from the coach that has only brought you winning seasons. Maybe it hasn't been enough. Maybe he hasn't taken the program to the next level. I I would certainly hear those arguments, but to do this right now, if that's in fact what's going to happen, um, is crazy to me. And so they better know what they're doing. But we will see. As I record this, uh, it's a little bit later in the day than usual, and uh, nothing of substance has happened yet. So maybe it was all just a bunch of a bunch of BS. But anyway, let's turn the page now. Focus back to Ole Miss. Uh, here's that audio that I promised you from Jonathan Mingo, uh, Ole Miss's wide receiver. Talks about the offensive system, uh, defensive backs, quarterback battles, stuff like that. It's a short clip, but it's uh, one that I wanted to talk about with you today. Uh, so here that is, probably going to be the title of the podcast, something in relation to this. I haven't thought about it just yet. But Jonathan Mingo, Ole Miss wide receiver, met with the media uh, recently, and here uh, was some of that conversation. Jonathan, uh, just curious if you'll update us just with your own words on how you think your progress has been through the first three weeks of fall camp. Well, I think my progress has been pretty good just trying to adjust to the new offense, just taking it step by step, just learning new things every day from Coach Levin. Coach Kiffin is kind of great. So just trying to play fast, be real detailed, just trying to focus on getting better every day. Jonathan, what's been your impression so far of the defensive backs that you've been going against every single day? Uh, I think Coach Buck, um, like when the top DB coaches out there played in the league, so he's getting a real good technique and coaches on how to play defense, how to take everything away from us. So I think the DBs are getting real better. Keegan, Jay Jones, Jamar, the Keevis, they begin to on tough battles every day. So I think it's going to be kind of exciting to see what the DBs can do. You mentioned adjusting to the new offense. What sort of different things are they asking you to do from the past years? Uh, you know, the offense is really, like, really, really different from last year. It's more open up so everybody can eat. Running backs can eat. Receivers can eat. So we're just going out there playing fast, picking up new plays from Coach Levy, picking up new plays from Coach Kiffin. So we get, like, a taste of two type of offenses. So I really like it. How often are you kind of just reading DBs and taking different different routes kind of mid-play? Uh. Just trying to like try new things. I new releasing new techniques. Sometimes I talk to um, defensive coach and be like, "What type of coverage y'all in? I wish I'd go for the DB right here. Like what they're trying to take away from us. They're trying to find new ways to be a coverage every day." Yeah, Jonathan. Obviously, we're not getting to see practice this year as media people, uh, so we're relying on you guys for this kind of stuff. But can you give me an honest evaluation of what you've seen between Matt Corral and John Rice Plumley at the quarterback position? A lot of improvement from both of them. Corral and Plumlee, like, that game is kind of similar to both of them, Corral, but both of them been doing good. Both of them, like, on this year, having better jobs reading the defense, and so both of them competing. 
I'm comfortable with either one out there. At the end of the day, my job is when the ball come my way, I just got to make the best of my opportunity and do my job. So it don't matter which quarterback out there, I just got to do my job. Jonathan, are you taking first-team reps with more with one of those guys than the other? And if so, how's that balancing out? It's different every other day. One day, um, may I go first. The other day, I'm going to go first. It just alternate days. Just talk us through all of the guys, the receiver rights. There are seven or eight of y'all came back from last year. Obviously, the receivers weren't super productive last year. What's different about the room in general and who's standing out? Uh, the offense really had more freedom last year. We were kind of living in what we can do, but we had more freedom. So everybody going out there just being themselves and playing fast and having fun. Elijah's doing good. Drummond doing good. Brandon doing good. DeMarc, Miles, Dennis, everybody's doing good. Just going out there playing the game. We're all making plays. That's why we call ourselves playmakers. All right, again, that was Jonathan Mingo. Here's why I wanted to play this for you. A few things that stood out to me uh, when it comes to uh, what he said. Uh, the first thing is I, I do appreciate the effort, honestly, uh, of uh, the media there trying to get him to give away anything when it comes to the quarterback battle. Uh, I, I appreciate that because uh, they know they're not going to get an answer, but they have to ask, and you shouldn't expect an answer. I've said on this podcast before, I mean, maybe Lane Kiffin will name a starter beforehand, but I think they shouldn't tell anybody anything at all except for themselves within the locker room so they can prepare and uh, typically in these quarterback battles, the team knows who's going to win the job before it's announced to them because they have eyes and they know who's better. Um, but I wouldn't tell anybody publicly at all until the offense takes the field for the first time against Florida. And there's no reason at all for Lane Kiffin or anybody to tell anyone who the starting quarterback is going to be. Make Dan Mullen and Todd Grantham at Florida prepare for both guys as if they are going to be the full-time starter. I mean, make that happen. There's no reason for any kind of a, a declaration. And so I appreciate them asking. I know they have to. I know they're not going to get an answer. They know that they're not going to get an answer. But you still got to ask. And I do actually uh, appreciate that. Uh, the word is still, uh, I mean, it, it's strong coming out from secondary information that Matt Corral is, is leading the quarterback battle and, uh, things of that nature. So w- what I told you last week, a couple weeks ago, it still is remaining true that he has seemingly separated himself, but that's just secondary info. Very well could be a smokescreen. I don't know. Uh, it's hard to get information out of Ole Miss camp right now, and that's a good thing. Uh, that's how I would do it if I were in their position, especially leading up into this unique year. Um, I wouldn't give away anything either. So I wouldn't take anything out of Mingo's answer uh, because he's being coached beforehand to not say anything at all about the quarterback battle other than they're both great. I love them both. Yay, go Corral, go Plumley. That's all you're going to get uh, in these press conference settings, which is okay. Uh, the second thing is uh, the two offensive influences. Do you notice that he said something like that? where he gets new plays from Kiffin, he gets new plays from Lebby. It's almost like they're running two offenses. And I found that interesting because when you first think about it, it sounds um, disjointed, right? Where, wait, what What do you mean they're... He, he's hearing two different offenses from two coaches. That doesn't, that doesn't add up. Usually they should just have one. But that tells me 
Something that I said in a radio interview I did recently out of market that um, Lane Kiffin has shown in his early tenure at Ole Miss that he has learned a lot from his failures. I even made the joke, you guys know, the if you play a country song backwards, the joke is you get your wife back, your dog back, your house back, and your car back or whatever. Lane Kiffin's coaching career has been a good career in reverse. Started with the NFL, ended up in the SEC, went to Southern Cal, got fired at the tarmac, went to, as he describes it, rehab at Alabama and FAU. Usually it goes backwards. You start uh, in Conference USA, then you work your way to high-level coordinator, then you go to college, then you go to the NFL. He's done it literally backwards. And what I've noticed since he's taken over the job with how he's handled media, with how he's handled his football team, uh, with COVID, and, and also the... Um, the marches and the social justice things that have gone on uh, around town, roster management, things like that. He strikes me as somebody that has learned a lot, uh, especially recently, and and has matured a ton. Most people nationally expected him to just step in and still be this playboy that uh, is a loose cannon and is going to get Ole Miss in all kinds of trouble and all that stuff. That's not how it is viewed from my perspective. And you guys may agree with this. It's it feels different the way people talk about Lane Kiffin and the way he's handled his program. I think are two different things. It may end up not working out. I don't know. I mean, it's just it's a feel situation, but it feels like there has been um, so some serious growing up when it comes to him and how he handles media and how he handles his football team and his even his presence online. Yes, I know he trolled the mayor because she, for some reason, decided um, to retweet negative things about his recruiting efforts. Um, but th- there's a difference with how he, he handles himself. And I think this is another example of that when you think about it. Uh, because Lane Kiffin isn't a control freak. I think having his offensive coordinator with such a strong influence on his offense to the point where players feel like they're running multiple schemes, I think is a sign of that willingness to let go, as we talked about on Friday, give the reins to his obviously talented offensive coordinator somewhat and willingness to let somebody else have influence on his offense and on his program. Matt Luke's predecessor was a control freak. This is not the case right now at Ole Miss, and I think that's another sign of his maturity, that even though he's an offensive guy and a nationally known offensive guy, he's won national championships as an offensive coordinator, still willing to give up some of that and let Jeff Lebby, who, yes, he was very good at UCF, but he doesn't have the resume that Kiffin does, to let go and let him influence the offense the way Jonathan Mingo described, I think is just another example of the change that has been made uh, with with Kiffin. It it shows program maturity. It shows the willingness to let go and and sit in that CEO role. And uh, I think that's a really big deal because coaches can be control freaks, especially when it's somebody like him that basically is getting his final shot. If it doesn't work out at Ole Miss, I mean, that's it, right? Um, he, he, I guess he'll, he can get jobs in the conference USA level. I mean, maybe Southern Miss will be looking for a coach here soon, but, um, he has acknowledged that this is kind of it. You know, he's been given so many chances and this is really the last one. Keith Carter's going out on a limb for him. 
uh, by making this hire and bringing him back into the SEC and uh, the ability to relinquish that control, it would be so easy for someone to control every little aspect, knowing the pressure that's on him if he wants to continue having a career, the willingness to to not just say he wants to sit in the CEO role, but when you hear one of his players describe their offense and the way it's being handled, it's being put into action. And so if you're looking for signs, and this is all we have right now because nobody can go to practice, we haven't seen a game yet, and again, so maybe things don't work out, but if you're looking for signs, if your program's being handled by somebody who actually can handle it this time because your previous two coaches could not, one of them was a significantly better coach than the other, but at the end, neither of them could really handle their situation. I think it's different now. And this is another example of of that person proving that they are actually qualified and prepared for a job like this. And the Lane Kiffin of old maybe wouldn't have handled all the the pandemic and and stuff like that this well. But here he is. I think it's another sign of of a growth in your football coach over his career. And the last thing uh, that I, or last observation I made when it came to this is everybody does love new systems, right? I mean, anytime there's a new football coach, uh, the the stories that are written, the players, everything's better and uh, just so much better. And we're going to be, everything's going to be great. And and that's all we needed was a change. And I mean, you should see some of the things are being written out of Missouri, for example, or out of Mississippi State, where all the... Uh, Mike Leach really just uh, wants to get the best out of his players, and as if Joe Moorhead did not want to get the best out of his players or did not uh, work hard, you know. But that's the kind of stuff you get anytime there's a coaching change, and, and of course the same thing is happening here. But I think what's important to hear when it comes to the wide receivers in particular is how different it is for them, because. It, for some reason, Ole Miss decided to abandon the forward pass for the majority of the second half of last season. Uh, they were going to shape their program and offense's identity around running the football the majority of the time. And so when when you hear this, I think it's atypical because everybody loves the new system. The new system's always better, and uh, you hear that all the time, always and forever, and you heard that about Rich Rodriguez, you know, that his system was way better than Phil Longo's, and Phil Longo's system was unique and innovative, even though Hugh Freeze would have never let him have complete freedom and control of his offense. Uh, So you're always going to hear that. But when it comes to uh, Ole Miss in particular, when it's coming from the wide receivers, uh, then then you have to believe it simply because they're actually going to be utilized in this offense and not just Elijah Moore on uh, a third and eight rollout to the right after they ran the ball twice with very little success. That's probably something uh, that you should listen to a little bit more than you usually get out of camps when there's coaching changes. Everybody loves the new system, but for some reason, and I was thinking about this a little bit uh, last week, it, there was some kind of a disconnect there because Rich Rodriguez recently had a 4,000-yard passer, a freshman 4,000-yard passer in his offense. And I wonder, and this is just me thinking out loud here, you saw often 
Rodriguez really frustrated, angry, frustrated in the booth. And I wonder if that's because he was hamstrung a little bit. It really makes me think. Because, yes, John Rice Plumley was more of a, a Rodriguez guy, and that's probably the system he would prefer to run. But, I mean, this is a guy with 20 years of good, innovative offensive play-calling experience under his belt. And again, recently had a 4,000-yard passer, a freshman 4,000-yard passer running his offense. And last year, they didn't even try. It was it was a complete abandonment of the forward pass. It, not creative. Uh, very predictable. I wonder if there was uh, influence into his offense that shouldn't have been there. Uh, that's just something I, I've always wondered. But uh, regardless, that, that was too simple, and it was never going to work in the SEC, ever. Even though most people, myself included, were really high on the hire because of what he's shown you in the past with his creativity and catering the offense to the talent that he had, but they kind of forced the issue last year and it didn't make a whole lot of sense. Now, I think it's genuine. That's the point here, is... It's genuine when you hear a guy like Mingo say he the, the team likes the new system better, that they feel like it makes more sense, that it fits what they're trying to do more. When he says that everybody in the offense is going to get touches, I believe every single word of that. Usually it's all just, oh yeah, the new coach is great, I love him so much. But And similarly to Mike Leach at Mississippi State, the, the wide receivers there are obviously very happy with their new system uh, because they're going to throw the football a hell of a lot more, so they're going to get more touches. So when they say things like that, they like the new system better, of course, because they're going to get more touches. That's undeniable. Usually, I, I just kind of pay that no mind and, and dismiss it. But in this case, when it comes to Mingo and, and Ole Miss and that offense, I genuinely believe that the players are much happier running the system that they're running. Matt Corral recently, I think I played the audio for you, was uh, quoted in saying that he actually understands why the ball is supposed to go certain places, where... Last year, it was more of, you just do this, and not, here's why you do this. So maybe it's uh, it, there, there's a greater understanding of the system and why, but also it's going to be more multiple. Uh, they're going to distribute the football to the playmakers on the outside and also run the football because they have a running back room that they haven't really had ever. I actually believe it, and usually I, I would just ignore that and dismiss it. Post-practice audio is rarely good, but I, I've played some of it for you. Uh, because I've actually I've learned some things from listening to these guys, and, and I hope that you have uh, as well. So, anyway, uh, hoping to have a guest from Florida on for Wednesday's show. If not, it'll definitely be at some point this week. Uh, awaiting some news, maybe some clarity on Otis Reese uh, and Sam Williams. Uh, two different situations, of course. Uh, Otis Reese being inside of three weeks away from uh, the season, not knowing whether or not he's eligible is just so pathetic. And it's an outrage. And I don't usually say that word, but it's it's really outrageous that he does not know whether or not he'll be eligible in a year that the NCAA has already decided doesn't count for anyone. The fact that he still isn't sure, hanging this over his head, is such a joke. And it's really telling when the young man's former teammates from Georgia are advocating for his immediate playing time. 
Georgia players are taking to social media to advocate for Otis Reese on, on his behalf to get him eligible. That tells you all you need to know. I mean, that really, ooh. And then uh, waiting to see on, on the status of, of Sam Williams. Uh, we talked about it, I think it was last week, a little bit that there was some optimism uh, around the building. So awaiting those two news items, uh, they should both get some kind of clarity this week. Uh, they should, anyway. So, uh, so we will see. But for now, I'm going to hang it up with you. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Michael Borky. Thank you so much for making the podcast a part of your day. Enjoy the weather. Enjoy your week. Go by LBs and see Greg. Tell him we sent you, and I will talk to you again on Wednesday. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.